Chapter Sixteen of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Things that fitted. Five minutes afterward, he was astonished at himself. What a remarkable proceeding for Lloyd McLean to give up a party for a prayer meeting, especially a party at the Flemings. But in that especially lay part of his willingness to be absent. He was apt to be intense in his fancies and intense dislike for Josie Fleming was uppermost now. There would probably be too much fashion there for real enjoyment. On the whole, he was satisfied with the condition of things. He even made a faint effort to secure a recruit for the meeting, in the person of his roommate. Not that he had the remotest idea that his friend Bruce was in peril. There is not a class of persons on the earth who can be more obtuse than young men on occasion and lloyd mclean was the only one of those who had very much to do with eben bruce who did not know that he had fallen on evil days you will remember how completely lloyd was deceived on the day of the picnic since that time he had not seen much of bruce evening work at the office had been heavy and grew heavier as the old year waned business was crowding also at the store apparently for on the two evenings when he had come home comparatively early Bruce was not in yet, and did not come until Lloyd was asleep. One night he found himself in, and sleeping heavily, as one utterly tired out. He rallied him the next morning on being in such haste for bed as to have gone only half ready, but received a cold and somewhat haughty answer. He had noticed that Bruce was heavy-eyed and irritable, and in many ways unlike himself he attributed it to disappointment that his chosen plans of study were so interrupted and to the fact that he had overworked for months that fellow will go home broken down in health before the winter is over he had remarked more than once to a mutual acquaintance and he had refrained from practical jokes and merry ways and been as sympathetic as he could and had he been asked would have replied confidently that bruce never drank a drop yet not a day had passed since the picnic that eben bruce had not drank more liquor than his nervous system could bear nor indeed had there been a day when he had not resolved that he would never touch the stuff again he was certainly not going into this thing with blinded eyes he had tumbled headlong at first it is true but he had made the immediate discovery that his will was not strong enough to resist the awful temptation which that first fall had opened before him oh for some friend at hand to point him to the only source of safety i hope you are not mixed as to time you are to understand that this first prayer meeting for which preparation was being made was not on the saturday immediately following the picnic but a week later it had been discovered that there were obstacles in the way of that first saturday and the meeting had therefore been arranged later promptly at the appointed time the few friends gathered in mr fleming's handsome parlors his parlors were the largest and best furnished so far at least as regarded the upholsterer's art of any house in eastwood fanny copeland certainly looked well in her blue silk toned as it was by the soft rich lace of the costly fichu the one who discovered in her a special attraction was eben bruce it so happened that these two met for the first time and fred fleming was the one who introduced them she is a pretty girl he said to his sister 
and she is just Bruce's style. You are not at all, Joe. He is intellectual, kills himself with studying nights, they say. And is as poor as a church mouse, of course, Miss Josie replied, her lip curling. Those students always are. Miss Josie was not in good humor. Mr. Cleveland had declined her invitation. So also had that handsome-eyed young Mr. McLean, whom she thought she especially honored by admitting him into her circle. It is true that Fanny's bright ways and words had charms for Eben Bruce. She had made good use of her year at school, and was well posted in some studies, and quick-witted in all directions. Her mother was not the only one who believed her to be superior to most of the young girls in Eastwood. She could dance, too, as well as talk. This last was not an item of importance with Eben Bruce. He had been in the habit of sneering at the people who spent all their time cultivating their heels, and had held himself aloof from the amusement. But Fanny, interested in his society, set herself to secure more of it by offering to teach him the steps. "'It is simple enough,' she said. "'Anyone with a rhythmical brain can catch the movement.' So they joined the dancers, and Eben Bruce found, as many another has found, that there was a certain kind of intoxication in this amusement that appealed to the side of his nature which seemed just to have awakened into being. It was found that the dancing had been somewhat premature. Refreshments were being served, and together this young couple went to the refreshment room. I think I have told you before that Eastwood, at least on the upper end of it, was an old, sleepy, aristocratic town, but the waves of modern movement had reached them sufficiently for the better class of the community to frown on the serving of intoxicants, in even their milder forms, at social gatherings. There were, therefore, many among the guests who looked gravely at the display of wine-glasses, and coldly shook their heads when the wine was offered. "'It is nothing but homemade wine!' Josie said, stopping before Eben Bruce as she saw him shake his head. Even your grandmother could not object to it. Mamma sees to her wines herself, and has imbibed so many whims lately, that she will not have any in the house save those which are made here. She says she knows what they contain, and that they can harm no one. Fanny, let John fill your glass, and you and Mr. Bruce can drink a toast in honor of my birthday. History repeating itself if only these two had been familiar with the history. If they could have looked in on that birthday party only a few years back, and then on the Hartzell household of today. There is many an if to consider. If Fanny had been taught by her mother that homemade wine was a great and poisonous serpent in disguise. If Fanny had been posted as to what one glass of it might do for a young man if charlie lambert standing by looking on with a certain degree of anxiety aware himself that homemade wines were not innocent aware too that the young man in question was a tempted soul had been able to shake himself away from the trammels of society sufficiently to lay his hand on fanny copeland's arm with the familiarity of long acquaintance and say don't take it fanny it is dangerous it is at least possible that results other than what followed might have been. As it was, though Charlie Lambert's face flushed and he looked anxious, he kept still, and Fanny said lightly, I declined wine because, to tell the truth, it is apt to give me a headache. I don't like the taste of it very well either. 
but I can sip enough of it for a birthday remembrance if Mr. Bruce is anxious. And Mr. Bruce, who had wanted to drain the glass and only held himself back out of respect to the lady beside him, seized it with an eagerness that some, watching, did not fail to see. Joe ought to be ashamed of that, said Fred Fleming angrily. That fellow has too much brain to play with wine, if it is homemade. It is the baldest nonsense to say there is no harm in it, for I know better. Why, Fred, said a young lady sweetly, it is the alcohol in these things that does harm. There is no alcohol in homemade wines, you know. And she was a young lady who had taken nine studies in the high school, and as many more in a seminary of renown, and taken the French prize, and graduated in white silk and ten-buttoned gloves, and read an essay on The Possibilities of the Future, and in this age, with all the light which has been set aglow on the subject, knew no more than that about the possibilities of a glass of homemade wine. The young man sneered. Most young men knew more than this. As for Eben Bruce, he knew only too well that there was enough in the homemade wine to set a slumbering demon wide awake in his breast. He knew while he swallowed the tiny glassful that now he must get away from here as fast as possible, get where they did not veil the serpent in kid gloves and roses, nor present it in cut glasses that could not hold a thimbleful. Several people, Fanny Copeland among them, missed the handsome young stranger very soon after supper. What had become of him? The hostess said he regretted that he had been suddenly called away. Charlie Lambert wished that he had kept an eye on the fellow, and tried to save him. Fanny Copeland innocently wondered if he had received any bad news, and hoped in her heart that he would return, for the evening was less bright when he was away and none of them knew that Fred Fleming, poor Fred Fleming, who was sure that he himself would drink too much, long before the evening was over, followed his guest to the door and said, Now don't, Bruce, remember you are in danger. The innocent homemade wine was working even then in the hot young brain, and Bruce shook the warning off with an angry, Let me alone, you are a pretty one to preach and Fred sighed and went back to his mother's dining-room to drink more wine. Meantime, Miss Wainwright, on Saturday morning, was seated in her handsome, old-fashioned family carriage, drawn by two shining horses. Peter, who had been installed as coachman and was in a new suit which fitted his promotion, was driving with great care, and had just rounded the corner when he received an order to halt. Charlie Lambert was passing, the inevitable cigar in his mouth. "'Does that fit?' was the first question he asked, as he obeyed the lady's summons to her side. Something in her face reminded him of the last conversation they had held together. He inclined his head toward the horses as he spoke. "'It is a nice, comfortable establishment, and I presume you take great pleasure in riding around in it. I know I would.' but I was wondering whether it fitted your new notions nicely. It hasn't, said Miss Wainwright, frankly, but it can be made to. I have been thinking of ways in which it shall. But, Charlie, there is one thing you want to get over, and that is the notion that I have had anything to do with the getting up of that verse. Why don't you read it for yourself in the Bible? It is there, word for word. If my ways don't fit it, they ought to. There is no mistake about that. 
I don't believe I shall have as much trouble with the horses and carriage as you will with cigars. There, don't speak, I beg. You look for all the world as though you were going to say, that is not a parallel case. I never knew a young man to get worsted in an argument that he did not slip into that corner. Just find out whether your habit is parallel with, will you, and see how you like the association. What I want to know now is whether you are going to help us to-night. We must know what to depend upon. We want good singing, and considerable of it. I don't believe in the regulation way of managing a prayer meeting. At least I don't think this one wants to be managed by rule. Will you be on hand? Now Charlie Lambert's invitation had not yet reached him, and he saw no way of answering, save by a reluctant consent, leaving himself the loophole that, unless something unavoidable prevented, he would be present. I suppose he arranged with his conscience that the party at the Flemings should be the something unavoidable. Miss Wainwright was on her way to market, and to look up Miss Hunter, whose acquaintance she was in haste to make, and to see if in any way this same carriage could be made to contribute to the cause of her master. Charlie had not suggested a new idea. Miss Wainwright's carriage had not escaped scrutiny when she took an inventory of all her belongings and asked them in what way they were contributing to what was supposed to be her chief aim. Could Charlie Lambert help her in any way? Did he know anything about that Miss Hunter of whom Mr. Durant spoke? No, Charlie Lambert had not heard Mr. Durant speak of any such person. He did not know the name. He was sure his mother could not know of any newcomers of that name, or he should have heard it mentioned. Didn't Miss Wainwright know the address? Not exactly. It is somewhere near Smith Street. Smith Street? And Charlie looked dismayed. Why, Aunt Hannah, that must be a mistake. Smith Street, you know, is that one at the entrance, almost to the flats. There is hardly a decent house on the street. Well, said Miss Wainwright sturdily, he didn't say she lived in a decent house. He said she was a good woman. But she gave the order to drive on. Charlie Lambert was not the one to help her this morning, if indeed there was enough of him to help anybody. Still, if there isn't, he ought to be helped, said poor Miss Wainwright, and she sighed a little. This problem of living was getting to be very complicated. The flats. Just what did that name cover which was being so continually sounded in her ears during these days? She had been a resident of Eastwood for many years, but the flats was a name and a place which seemed to have sprung up with the coming of the railroad, and the region belonged to a part of the town almost utterly unknown to Miss Wainwright. Yet human beings lived there, and were huddled together in disgraceful crowds she had learned. What was being done to make the region respectable? What could be done? She revolved these questions, but received no answer, and had, some way, a burdened feeling that the flats and the puzzling verse in the Bible had been exhumed together. John Hartzell lived on the flats. Did he reach home sober? Could she do anything more for him? Could she find him, she wondered? Peter, she said, suddenly leaning out from the carriage, do you know where the part of the town begins that they call the flats? Well then, drive there. I want to look at it. Peter drove in silence. He knew how the place looked. Down one of the filthy, narrow alleys went the high-stepping, sleek horses and the handsome carriage. 
some of the children threw mud some of them yelled and threw up their arms in a vain effort to frighten the horses and all of them stared dirty-faced women came to the doors and stared what a strange sight for the flats miss wainwright with wide-open gray eyes was gazing right and left such a phase of life as this she had heard of but never seen before suddenly she gave a low startled exclamation and a quick order peter stop here End of chapter 16